Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. All right. Hey, so Romans chapter 15, and I'm the one that needs to take a deep breath, all right? Romans chapter 15, first 13 verses. Kira, thank you for reading for us this morning. We haven't met Kier and Dominic. They are students at Stevenson University. They come down and serve. So introduce yourself to them after the service if you've not met them yet. No, Dominic has been here several times, so he's a friend now. He's not even a guest. All right. So, so this morning we're going to talk about putting others first. I wanted some fancy, catchy title, but you know what? Uh, sometimes in the hard work of living the Christian life, putting others first. Putting others first. Caring for my brother and sister in Christ. So you'll remember, uh, we're in this section, we're in this section of Romans. And in 14, Paul started out, he said, now accept one another, accept the one who is weak in faith. So remember, we're talking about the strong and the weak, not an indictment of their, not an indictment of who they are, but some living in liberty, right, in their faith in Christ. Some putting limitations on themselves because of their past religious experiences. But Paul says, accept one another. Don't hold people in contempt. Don't despise one another. He says, as a matter of fact, in verse 3, he says, accept one another because, or the same way that Jesus has, because Jesus has already accepted them. So you accept your brother and sister in Christ, don't despise them or hold them in contempt. Matter of fact, we even talked about don't just tolerate them. You know, you know that, oh, yeah, 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 whatever, man. And, and we just tolerate people rather than loving them the way God is calling, right? So, and then Paul says we have this beautiful u- unity and diversity in the body of Christ. And Paul is calling this group of Roman Christians to live in unity. The church should be a reflection of the community or the city in which it resides. And it should be a beautiful reflection of that, that diversity, the diversity of of faces and cultures and ethnicity in unity in the church. If there's unity anywhere in our city, it should start in church. And Paul is calling 2,000 years ago, calling this group of believers to this level. And so, you know, and then in verse 13, he says, don't judge one another. Uh, we talked about that. Don't, don't put an obstacle in your brother or sister's way. There are more important things than your, than your liberty. Sometimes I will limit my liberties in order to build up my brother or sister in Christ. Because why? Because sometimes it's more important to put others first and their needs than selfishly care about what is my freedom. So we have this tension here. And now we're moving on this morning. And Paul says very specifically, now you who are strong, he's starting out in verse one, talking to the strong again, are those who are living in liberty in their faith, right? They didn't observe um, they felt like it was okay to eat some bacon on Saturday morning. Yes. Oh, yes, Lord. 
at my house, we have family breakfast on Saturday morning. Diane and myself and Lola and Tucker. They're not children. They're dogs. I know we're those people. We have bacon and eggs every Saturday morning. It's very important to us. When that bacon starts, Lola comes around the corner from the living room towards the kitchen. The dog knows it's Saturday morning when she smells the bacon. The freedom in that. I have friends for either religious or health reasons. They do not eat the pork. So if that brother or sister comes to my house, we have something else. We had a family member who for many years was a vegan. And we have family celebrations. So we respected, uh, we respected our niece in that regard as much as we possibly could. We didn't want to be a stumbling block. We didn't want to put an obstacle in her path. So putting others first, caring for my brothers and sisters in Christ. But now Paul, speaking to the strong, says, bear the weaknesses of those who without strength and, and not just please yourself. So here's what's happening. I am caring for my neighbor's spiritual well-being. When Paul uses the, ver the word neighbor in verse 2, he's doing it very intentionally. Why? In the words of Jesus, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the second command he told the Pharisees, right, was equal to the first. Um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor, right? I always think of Mr. Rogers. Some of y'all may not know Mr. Rogers. Will you be my neighbor? What a, is it like a beautiful person, right? I don't know. Uh, yeah, we were not going there this morning. <laughs> that was Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. <laughs> and if you're familiar with that, shame on you. <laughs> okay, no, just kidding. So, so, yeah, see how easy the squirrel moments come. Caring for my neighbor's spiritual well-being. Sometimes that is more important than what I want to do and what I have the freedom to do in my life. Now here we're talking about feasts and meat dedicated to idols, wine that could have been dedicated to a pagan god, or just some folks, certain times a year, they wouldn't drink wine at all. You know, So we have the Jews who... Uh, Christian Jews who were probably still practicing some of their religious holidays and things that they refrained from. And Paul is saying they love Jesus just as much as you do, but right now they're weak. They have limitations in their lives, right? And then the believers were probably the Gentile believers who had come to Christ. They didn't have all that religious background. They felt free to eat what they wanted, to drink a little wine when they when they went out to Outback on Saturday night or something. They felt that freedom, okay? And they had that freedom. So, Paul uses this love command very specifically. He says, um, love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is, is, is right up there with loving God with all your heart. And who is my neighbor? My brother and sister in Christ. And remember, um, in 1415, we were just there two weeks ago. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. If you're hurting your brother and sister just to exercise your own freedom, me, you, any of us, we're no longer walking according to that love. Paul brings up the love command very specifically. But here, here's what we're, uh, here, let's get down to the meat of this, okay? Uh, building him or her up 
means assuming the burden of his weaknesses as my own. I, I left that out. And caring more about that than my own liberty. So, why? Paul uses a word, not me. He says, good, uh, I want to do good for my neighbor to his edification, to the building up of my neighbor. Go back to 14, chapter 14 again, right? Um, verse 19, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. It's not just what I should do, it's what do I have the op it's what I have the opportunity to do. I have an opportunity to build you up in the Lord. By what? By simply just limiting my own freedom and caring for you more than I care about myself. Wow. So, so here we go. So putting others first, caring for my neighbor's spiritual well-being is number one there, right? Now, here's what it looks like. There we go. Here's what we saw in chapter 14, verses 17 through 20, because in 15, Paul's repeating himself. He's going to wrap this whole thing up and move on to another topic uh, uh, that you'll see next week. So... Uh, verses uh, 17 through 20 of chapter 14, we kind of get what Paul is talking about even in chapter 15. I, if I'm caring more about you than my own um, personal liberty, I am living out, you are living out kingdom priorities. The kingdom of God, and hence your brother and sister in Christ who are part of that, the kingdom of God is more important to you than your fleshly life. Secondly, you're serving Christ. We see that here in these verses. He who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God. You're serving Christ. You know what else you're doing? He talks about in both chapters. And this is by way of encouragement. You are pursuing peace and joy, not just for yourself, but on behalf of your brother or sister in Christ. And remember, you are building up and maintaining unity in your church. So, building up, uh, building you up, and lastly, taking good care of God's work. Took me three weeks to just turn the negative statement into a positive one, but, but I have the opportunity here. I can tear you down. I can be selfish, right? I shared the uh, example that Diane and I experienced together in our years in marriage that I was addicted to alcohol and cocaine when I quit drinking and getting high all those years ago. Diane didn't make a fuss. She just stopped. She just didn't drink. And for her, it was fine. She had that liberty in her Christian faith to have a glass of wine at dinner or whatever, family function, whatever, whatever. And she just quietly chose to care for her husband, who is also her brother in Christ, and, and uh, probably first and foremost, right? And I told you later on that there have been ways with, with food and Diane's care for, attempting to care for herself with issues with food and how I did not care for my wife because I was more concerned about my own liberty. And so I was selfish. And so what do I do? I'm taking care of God's, good care of God's work. What is God's work? You. You, my brother and sister in Christ, you're God's work. Oh my. If you're God's work and I too love God and want to serve God, I better not just be pleasing myself but caring for you. 
So, number one, caring for my neighbor's spiritual well-being. It seems like a review, but Paul thought it was important enough to say again in chapter 15 uh, to the strong. He's speaking to them again so far. But then number two, what we see in chapter 15 here is, number two, I'm loving others like Jesus. Look, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of you, of those, wow, slow down, use your words. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In Psalm 69, 9, the psalmist is speaking and he is saying what the people really did when they crucified Christ, their anger and their unbelief and their fear was towards God. They took it out on Christ. You understand why. So for even Jesus didn't please himself. So if Jesus is our example then, and we say that a lot, right? Love people like Jesus. Care for people like Jesus. We say that. It's right here. Paul says it too. But watch, I noticed a couple things. If Jesus is our example, then uh, caring for you rather than pleasing myself might be difficult sometimes. Caring for God's people in the church, um, loving my brother and sister, I may suffer loss. I may suffer loss. You may make a sacrifice even greater than I don't know, not eating a bacon cheeseburger in front of your brother who's a vegan, you know? May be a bigger deal. And it was a bigger deal in, in our family, in my marriage. It was a big deal because, because I wasn't exercising the love toward my spouse, who is my sister in Christ as well. Um, she belongs to God first. Oh, my. She belongs to God first and foremost. She is his child, right? So are you. So, so you may sacrifice. You may even suffer when you commit yourself to pleasing your brother and sister in Christ rather than yourself. It may not be easy. So, so, so keeping it real, right? Loving you like Jesus loved me could be, look, I'm not always easy to love. Sometimes I'm a difficult person. Someday, you better be prayed up if you're going to have to love them. I'm just saying. But loving others here, some of y'all laughing because you know it's true. All right. So loving others like Jesus is not, does, is not always easy. Now, we do see something here. And if I'm stretching the text to make this a main point, you can call me out later. But we also see in verse 4, Paul says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Look, the word of God, the word of God will equip you to please your, to please your neighbor and love your neighbor rather than your own selfishness. The word of God will put you in the right place and, and protect you, build you up and make you ready to do that. How do I know that? Because he says, so that through perseverance, right? Sometimes loving others isn't as easy as we think. Just persevere. Persevere in this. Stuff goes wrong in a church. Church folk don't act right. They don't. I told y'all the title of my book I haven't written yet. It's Baptist Behaving Badly. I've got, hey, hey, I have, I have 21 years or more of, of material, right? So sometimes even me. 
right? But so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The word of God restores your hope when you get down. The word of God gives you hope. The scriptures instruct you and me on how to care for my brother and sister rather than just be selfish. It will encourage me to do it. It will teach me to do it. It will prepare me to do it. It's the word of God. So I need that. I need the scriptures. I need the word of God. Paul says, now watch. Paul's, now Paul's way smarter. Paul's always three or four steps ahead of everybody um, when he's writing and speaking. And I love that. And we're going to see that in just a moment. So, so hang out with me for just a moment. Don't check out yet. So we see, um, oh, extra dot there. That's on me. Um, number four, Paul is praying, okay, in verses uh, five and six. This is a prayer. One of the guys I read, he called it a prayer wish. I don't know if we wish. And here's this guy, this great theologian, calling this a prayer wish. Paul, but Paul wants this. He wants this for the people to whom he is writing. So he says, May the God who gives this perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus. So he prays this, and we see some things here. One, unity comes only through Jesus we see this accepting one another. We see that theme, right? 14.1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith. Paul's still talking to the strong. So we see that in the prayer here. He says uh, in 5 and 6, so of the same mind with one another. So now he's using that unity language again. And he might even be alluding to the fact that he's getting ready to switch up and talk to both the strong and the weak here. He says, be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. And it could read because of Christ Jesus, but according to Christ Jesus. So he's calling for that. You know, we're all supposed to be doing this. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So be of the same mind. Unity of mind, unity in our response and behavior towards one another according to Jesus. So now he also does this. There is a greater purpose. This is not about us. Even the church is not about us. This church is the church of Jesus Christ. It is God's church, God's people. It is pointing. So everything we do and who we are and who we show out to the community we are is supposed to be pointing to God, which means bringing God glory. So who we are and how we act and what we do and how we treat one another isn't even about us. It's about bringing God glory. God gets the credit. God gets the glory. People, people should want to be part of who we are because they do see how we love and treat one another and how I prefer you above my own selfishness when it is time to do that. The time will come and and you will see that you're going to have an opportunity to do that for one of your brothers and sisters. So it's not even about us. It's about bringing God glory. It's about God getting, it's about pointing ourselves and others to God. That's what the church should be doing. I know you say, well, so it's all about God. Yes. Yeah. It's all about God. We come, we come down here. I know, I know in America that doesn't sound right because America is all about me, right? Y'all know I got the t-shirt. It's all about me. And God says, no. It's about your brother and sister. We say, uh-oh. And we talked about some cultural issues. We talked about some issues 
like a pandemic and talking bad about people because uh, they go, uh, they vote, a, they vote a little differently than you vote somewhere, or we allow politicized issues to separate even believers in Christ. Churches, man, burning their churches down—not literally, but burning down relationships over this thing. Oh, um, you know, mocking people who wear a mask or who don't wear a mask, talking bad about somebody who gets a vaccination or somebody who doesn't get a vaccination. Guess what? This speaks to that. You, as my brother or sister in Christ, whether it's a limitation or liberty in this issue, however you want to identify the different things going on, because I care about you more than I care about my own. And I've had to think, look, y'all, I've told you I'm a smart aleck. I was trained up, raised up. It's the only thing I do have a PhD in. And, and so I have my own thoughts and opinions. I won't share them with you right now. But I do know that um, I now prefer to think the best of others, whether they're a follower of Jesus or not. So whether it's a vaccination or wearing a mask or uh, someone saying we're all going to do A in Baltimore City as opposed to B, I need to stop being a smart aleck and I need to prefer my brother and sister above my own either limitations or liberty, right? Okay, so, and it's for God's glory. It's not even about me. It's no longer about me. Number five, now Paul's shifting gears. He's talking to everyone. He's talking to the strong brothers and sisters, and he's talking to the weak brothers and sisters. He's saying, accepting my brother and sister like Jesus accepts me. So, Charlie, well, you've already said that several times. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Paul said it here in 14 and 15 several times, right? Accept one another. How? Just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Christ saved you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian. Guess what? That person who is your brother or sister in Christ that may not be your bestie, maybe somebody you sit way on the other side of the church from, which in a church this small is hard to do. <laughs> yeah, right? So you better get along. But not just tolerating, but accepting them. Why? Because Jesus accepted you. Who do I think I am? Jesus forgave my sins. Jesus died for me. Man, I feel I'm, I'm important, you know? I got this. But guess what? Jesus has, Jesus has no more favor for me than he does for you. Jesus has no more favor for me, if you want to quantify, if we have to quantify, right? Jesus loves you this much. Jesus loves me this much. Jesus doesn't think any, no one in this room is any prettier than the other to Jesus, right? That's true. Somehow, sometimes, I, I, can, I can forget that and I think I'm special, right? No more special or less special than you. That's how Jesus accepts us. That's how we have to see not just ourselves, but one another. So, Paul does something very interesting here. He quotes four or five, and Paul... Um, the first one is very interesting. It could be one of two verses, the way Paul says it. Uh, that's why I put 2 Samuel there uh, and Psalm 1849. But here's what's going on. Paul is, he says, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing your name. We have to go here for a moment. Uh, let's go to... Um, 2 Samuel 22.50, if you would like. Paul is doing something very specific here. Sometimes I will give you these 
quotations. Paul is quoting the Old Testament. I think it's important this morning. So in 2 Samuel, Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. Now, here the writer is saying he is going to give God praises in front of all the nations. It has always been God's plan. It has always been God's plan for people to come into saving faith with God, even in the Old Testament. He used Israel to do that in the Old Testament. So, again, Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, 43. I know we don't normally do this, but it's so very instructive this morning to where we're going. Moses song here before he dies in the end of Deuteronomy verse 43 rejoice O nations with his people for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries so so Moses says rejoice O nations with his people so Israel and the other nations God wants the other nations to rejoice, to come to faith in him and rejoice with his people. Israel and the nations. Why is Paul doing this? Because in this Roman group, this Roman church, there are Jews who are the weaker brothers and sisters because they're still exercising limitations. There are the Gentile believers, watch this, who don't worship like them, don't look like them, have different values and culture than they do. The Roman government, these Roman Christians, the Roman government had their foot on the neck of the Jewish people at this time, exacting large amounts of taxes. We're talking about, we're talking about ethnic and racial hatred. We're talking about um, religious uh, differences. We're talking about people who lived differently, acted differently, and looked differently all come into faith in Jesus Christ and learn how to get along in God's church. Learning how to get along in God's church. Now, Psalm 117.1, and Paul says, Paul says, so he says the, um, so what he's saying here is, the Jewish people, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and he is your savior, okay? Gentile people, God showed you mercy, one of the verses says, God showed you mercy and brought you in to what he was already doing with the Jewish people. Promise goes all the way back to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I'll bless all the nations through you. How did he do that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the Gentiles bringing us in to what God was already doing with the Jews. So now we have people who normally would have hated each other Different religion didn't look um, um, most didn't look like each other. Lived culturally differently. Raised their kids differently. All in one church because they're all now followers of Jesus. Now he does quote Isaiah eleven ten, and it really is beautiful. He says, um, "There shall come the root of Jesse, um, you know Jesse's son David. Jesus Christ was a direct descendant." of David and he says and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope so he goes back and said Jesus Christ is 
was going to be, and now past tense by Romans, right? Follow with me, that the Gentiles will hope our salvation is in Jesus Christ. So Paul says all of that to say, you people in this church, universal church, individual churches, wherever they may be, we look differently sometimes. It's a beautiful picture. I like that. It's one of the reasons I came to Baltimore. Uh, I wanted to be part of God's church this way, right? We don't all look alike. We don't all come from the same subculture, right? Um, we come and have different ethnicities, white, black. We met, um, met a pastor, a theologian yesterday, who I really uh, have read a lot of his stuff, and I really respect him. And several of us went to a preaching conference yesterday where he was one of the speakers. And he was a pastor in the Cayman Islands, suffering for Jesus, right? He was a pastor. I think that's where he's from. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. now, in Anacostia. But he, he was a pastor in the Cayman Islands. He said, look, there are people from 150 nations who live, call the Cayman Islands home. And then he says, in my church, where he was a pastor years ago, he said it was very common to have people from 30 to 35 nations in his little church. Like maybe there was 100, 150 people in the church, but it was not uncommon to have people from 30 different nations in his church. And he said it was such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. But teaching and preaching the word of God here was so relevant, right? Because so many things could come up. People would, uh, um, yeah, I won't, I won't, no rabbit holes, no rabbit holes today. So, so we have this picture uh, of God's church. And that's what Paul is saying here to both the Jewish believers and the Gentiles, primarily writing to the Romans. And then lastly, so we saw a nation that has conquered another nation, people groups with different religions, people who do not look like one another, people who once hated each other. Uh, I have a friend, he played in the, national, he played in the NBA. He's one of my hero, heroes. I watched him play at the University of Maryland. And uh, I've asked permission to share a few things, and a lot of things he shared publicly, so I, I'm not telling tales. He said, Charlie, you know, when I was a younger man, uh, he said, I, I had several reasons as a teenager and a young man, but I hated white people. I didn't like my college coach. And it's so funny, I was 13 years old, and there was a conversation, a public conversation, about the fact that um, the coach at the University of Maryland, how he bumped heads with this one particular All-American player, right? I remember that from when I was 13 years old. It's great. And now I know why. And he said, I hated my coach. I hated white people. And because of my experience growing up, I just didn't like white people, don't, didn't trust white people. And over a period of years after that really impacted my life and other challenges I went through, God just started changing my heart and changing my life. And his story, he shares it publicly. Um, Ernie Graham, All-American University of Maryland, played in the NBA, shares his story publicly, so I'm not telling tales. And his story is titled, A Story of Redemption. Amen. People who once hated each other. Yeah. And he's from this neighborhood. He grew up in East Baltimore. Mm. Yeah. We rented a building from him where our church met across the street. He's my friend. <laughs> he really is. We talk about that. Yeah. He's my friend. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is what God does in his church among his people. That's what's possible. And then we see verse 13, praying for your joy and peace through, through three things, really. Um, well, I only have two of them listed there. Why did I say three? But so may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in 
believing, that's your salvation, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Paul wraps this whole section up, these two and a half chapters. He wraps it up and he says, he says, let God fill you, the God of hope, by the way, um, um, fill you with joy and peace in believing, in being connected to Jesus Christ through faith. Why? So that you too will abound in hope. If you're connected to God and connected to, through Jesus, you can't help but have hope. We have hope for eternity. I was going to go back to Romans 5, but then y'all be mad because you'll be getting hungry. The ravens are coming on. But go back to Romans 5 where Paul talks about this hope that we have in Christ and being at peace with God. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Go back and read that sometime today. I connected this with that, of course, because Paul says you'll have joy and peace and you will be abounding in hope. Hope both for eternity and for today. That's what he talks about in chapter 5. Hope for eternity because you're going to spend eternity with God um, uh, following this short life here. But hope for today because God is with us here as well. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do this on our own. We don't do this on our own. Friends, I've not gone too far yet this morning, so I'm going to stop. Um, but we're going to shift gears the next time we open Romans back up. But today.